because qualified immunity protects public officials not only from liability for, but from suit itself, the state defendants are entitled to have the defense addressed at the motion to, dis dis to dismiss stage before being subjected to thousands of hours of discovery and thousands of dollars in expenses. There are three key facts that appear on the face of the complaint that demonstrate the defendants are entitled to qualified immunity. Based on those facts, there are at least three key legal principles that would have to be clearly established as a matter of law, but are not, before the defendants could be considered plainly incompetent for the temporary closure of Highway 1806 and the Backwater Bridge during the 2016 DAPA protest. First, by September 2016, there were 10,000 protesters claiming the right to speak and assemble at a single intersection of a rural two-lane highway which is like asking public officials to safely balance an elephant on the tip of a needle without breaking the needle. Second, the crowd of 10,000 was not entirely peaceful. Only the vast majority of it was so. At admission, there was some non-peaceful and violent protest. Third, Backwater Bridge was damaged and required repairs before it could be reopened and detour routes were needed to permit the public to use the highway for its intended purpose. Based on these three undisputed facts, the state, contendants, the state defendants contend there are at least three legal principles that would have to be clearly established as a matter of law, but are not, before the defendants could be considered plainly incompetent for their conduct. One, there must be cases clearly establishing that law enforcement lose all ability to enforce the law and maintain crowd control in the interest of public safety when the percentage of law-abiding protesters reaches a certain level versus the number of protesters engaging in violent or criminal activity. Two, there must be cases clearly establishing that the normally discretionary decisions to close a damaged bridge, schedule repairs, and create detour routes are all subject to First Amendment script, strict scrutiny analysis if putative protesters are claiming they have a right to occupy the bridge and the stretch of highway closed because of, an, of a bridge that's out for purpose of speech and assembly. Three, there must be cases clearly establishing that a rural highway with sloped ditches not intended for pedestrians with statutorily stated purposes that do not include speech and assembly has been considered a tra traditional public forum from time immemorial. The lack of clearly established law on these legal principles, considered solely with facts that appear on the face of, of the complaint, demonstrate the defendants were not plainly incompetent for a temporary highway and bridge closure. But there are additional undisputed facts in the public record that demonstrate protesters were engaged in continuous criminal activity on private land adjacent to this intersection. So extensive that the North Dakota Supreme Court modified the practice rules for out-of-state attorneys because the state defense bar claimed they were overwhelmed and unable to adequately represent all defendants. The public record shows the reason Backwater Bridge was damaged was the Federal Felony Act of Michael Garan for engaging in a civil riot by setting fires on the bridge. Public record from a related federal district court case in Dundon, a case affirmed on appeal by this court, shows protesters were throwing Molotov cocktails at law enforcement in addition to other projectiles. I, I thought that appeal was dismissed. 
No, that was a different that was a different uh, appeal, Your Honor. The one that I'm referring to was the one that dealt with the uh, preliminary injunction over the November 2016 incident uh, on the on Backwater Bridge. Um, whether limited to facts that appear on the face of the complaint or considered in conjunction with undisputable facts in the public record, the state defendants are entitled to a court's qualified immunity analysis at the motion to dismiss stage before uh, going further in this case, and we haven't received that yet. Uh, in the limited time I have left. Why don't you just file a motion for summary judgment that puts this extrinsic evidence into the record and eliminates the dispute about that and get a ruling? Because we're, we're entitled to, under Payne v. Britain, we're entitled to essentially two bites at the apple, Your Honor. We're entitled to well, have a qualified immunity. What you're going to get is a remand to decide it on the face of the complaint. And your argument in the district court was almost entirely based on these other facts that you've mentioned that are in the public record, but which the district court didn't notice. Well, I think there's two, there's two avenues, Your Honor. Under Hamner, this court can avoid that procedure roundabout because under Singleton, qualified immunity is a pure issue of law. Uh, secondly, I think you could construe what the district court did by failing to conduct the objective reasonableness analysis under the second prong of qualified immunity as effectively denying us our qualified immunity at this stage and then review it yourselves as well. But at a minimum, whether this from this court or from the district court, we're entitled to a qualified immunity analysis before we go further. Well, I, I understand that. I was just wondering, as a practical matter, why you would be so in why you would want a ruling on the face of the complaint when most of your argument is based on things that are outside the complaint, which you could easily because, get through a motion for summary judgment. Because. Uh, you have to go through thousands of hours of discovery and thousands of dollars in expenses before you get to that stage, Your Honor. And I mean, that's even if you're just talking about qualified immunity summary judgment, uh, there's this protest involved tens, uh, you know, 10,000 protesters. It involved numerous law enforcement uh, agents. It involved private parties, the residents, there were Morton County. Uh, you, so you're saying you don't think the judge would entertain a motion that just included your public records of criminal conduct? You think the judge would say, before I'm going to entertain the motion, I'm going to call for thousands of hours of discovery? I think I'm, I'm I see I'm cutting into uh, Mr. Grinald's time. Uh, yes, th this is a very fact-intensive if, if we get to, if we don't get our qualified immunity analysis that we're entitled to at this stage, I think this becomes a very fact-intensive case. And I'd like to reserve uh, some time for rebuttal and not cut into Mr. Mr. Ganold's time. We'll, we'll see about rebuttal, but Mr. Mr. Ganold, go ahead. Rebuttal is not to is not to is not to get the last word. Rebuttal is to respond to what Appellee's lawyer argues, and we haven't heard that yet. You're you're on mute. You're on you're on mute. 
Thank you, Your Honor. Justices, Counsel, my name is Sean Grinolds. I represent the appellant, Morton County Sheriff Kyle Kirkmeyer. Uh, I'd just like to follow up on what my colleague, Mr. Nikolai, was commenting on with respect to the errors by the district court in, in this matter. The issue is qualified immunity. This court has ruled and has stated before in Payne versus Britain that public officials are entitled to a reason, grant, or denial of their qualified immunity defense. Now, in this case, the, the judge specifically said he's not going to rule on it. He thinks it's better suited for a summary judgment, as Mr. Nikolai pointed out. The problem with that process is it deprives, it forces us to go through the discovery process at considerable time and expense to the parties before we have these issues ruled upon. The other issue with the judge's ruling is he refused to consider uh, several matters, extrinsic evidence matters that we presented to the court and asked the court to take judicial notice of. And we have those described in our briefing, but amongst those are, are, are matters uh, that we produced the documents to the court to establish, such as emergency declaration by the Morton County Board of County Commissioners, such as uh, executive orders by two successive North Dakota governors mandating the evacuation of this area. Uh, an executive order by President Donald Trump declaring the interest of uh, proceeding with the development of the pipeline project. There are several of these sorts of documents that we believe it was error for the court not to consider, at least go through the analysis of whether each of these items were properly considered, uh, were subject to judicial notice or otherwise considered a public record, which this court has repeatedly said on a Rule 12b6 motion to dismiss, the court doesn't automatically convert it to a Rule 56 motion just because you submit certain additional extrinsic matters to the court. And the court has spe spelled out certain categories of documents, and that includes matters for which judicial notice can be taken, uh, the court, the same court's uh, decisions in interrelated cases, which we have situations here, and I believe Mr. Nikolai commented on the Dundon versus Kirkmeyer decision where the exact same time frame, the exact same protests, spelling out the history of the violence that was being perpetrated in this vicinity. Another such case is the uh, uh, Archambault case. Another case where the Dakota Council, I'd like I'd like you to, to uh, compare and contrast uh, Payne with the late, the recent Dundon dismissal for lack of jurisdiction. Which which is which case is this? Well, Your Honor, as to the recent dismissal of the Dundon appeal, there wasn't any analysis. It was just a summary dismissal uh, for lack of jurisdiction without any commentary as to why by the Eighth Circuit. Um, and so that matter did come back, did come back. And recently, uh, that case has been disposed of on summary judgment in favor of the defendants, ultimately. And that was just about a month or so ago. But uh, so we don't know the rationale for the dismissal of the Dundon. Well, decision. now wait, now wait, that dismissal was in what? No, late November or December of when? Is it 20 or 21? Are you referring to the dismissal of the appeal or the summary? Yes, draft? yes, for lack, of, for lack of jurisdiction. And now you tell me, now you tell me just a couple of months later, it's resolved by summary judgment, which is exactly what Judge Colleton was questioning or wondering should happen here. I don't know the answer is whether they will have will have tons of discovery. I assume that argument is based upon uh, the the facts in 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 pain. Well, you're on. Pain's just one case, and now we have a good example 
of, of why this is, uh, has the appearance of much ado about nothing. Well, except, Your Honor, in Dundon, the uh, dismissal of the appeal in Dundon was, I believe, at least a year ago, and there was considerable discovery that was engaged in that case leading up to the grant of summary judgment. There were numerous depositions, written discovery. Uh, the parties did incur substantial time and expense in that case leading up to the summary judgment, ultimately. We don't, we don't know. All right. We don't know that. Yeah. That's not, that's not in the record on this case. Correct. But, um, but, but you know, if, if we do the remand you're, you're talking about, uh, I don't care how much discovery is the district court allows before at least the preliminary qualified immunity ruling on summary judgment, but it's going to take at least the year uh, that Dundon took, or I'm, or I'm um, naive about how efficient all the lawyers in this case are. I haven't seen any efficiency on this on this dispute yet. Well, Your Honor, on that point, and I see my, I'd like to reserve time for, for rebuttal, and I'll concede my, whatever time there is to Mr. Nikolai on the rebuttal. But on, on that point, you know, our whole point is that the rules, Federal Rule of Evidence 201 says the court must take judicial notice of records if the information is provided. We provided the information. We believe we're entitled to have that information considered, and we believe if the judge were to consider that information, it would establish that the official's decision to close that highway would have been objectively reasonable under the based on the information for which the court's allowed to consider under a Rule 12b6 motion to dismiss. Thank you, Your Honors. Well, counsel, uh, let's say you lose on that, and, and all we have to look at is the complaint and the allegations of the complaint. What's, what, what's wrong with the complaint and, the, and those allegations that we would view in the light most favorable to the plaintiffs here? Um, why would those not be allegations of clearly established constitutional rights? Your Honor, in that regard, I guess with our limited time, I would refer the court to pages 14 through 18 of the Sheriff Kirk Myers reply brief, which has a recitation of the admissions the plaintiffs have made in their pleadings that establish our point that they basically concede that there was unlawful conduct. They claim that the protesters were occupying private property and this curtilage issue north of the Backwater Bridge in Morton County in the direct path of the Dapple Pipeline. Uh, they admit that law enforcement had to use force to remove them from that property. They also admit that they attempted to circumvent the barricade that law enforcement placed on the Backwater Bridge and attempted to cross the Cannonball River from the reservation into the security zone law enforcement established around the Dapple site. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. Mr. Smith, uh, Drellick, do I pronounce it right? Yes, Your Honor. May it please the court. My name is Noah Smith Drellick and I represent the plaintiff's appellees. This court can and should deny qualified immunity or dismiss defendant's appeal on many different grounds which plaintiffs have set forth in our briefing and I'd be happy to talk about today. The, this I, court the question I have is, is that the district court said that even if if there's a public record, I can't I can't look at it if it if it's at all inconsistent with the allegations in the complaint. Now, as you well know, there are categories of documents uh, that we we allow to be considered in the Rule 12b6 stage because they are expressly or implicitly incorporated or referred to in the complaint. Now, 
if we have if 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 with respect to public records that fall into that category isn't the district court clearly wrong that he no, can't, he can't look at them and even if they're appropriate to be considered at a rule 12b6 motion for qualified immunity he can't look at them because they're inconsistent what what case would support that so your honor i think the important thing to recognize here is that none of, none of the materials in this matter fall into that exception it's it's a narrow exception that's a different point that's a different point i want an answer to my question uh if if a complaint for example uh turns on a contract uh it's a contractual dispute that's the classical Don't example give me a hypothetical i asked for a case that supports the district court's categorical pronouncement that even if a, even if a document is can be considered at the rule 12b6 stage he won't look at it for qualified immunity if it's inconsistent with the complaint all that is is an invitation for plaintiff's lawyers in cases where qualified immunity will clearly be an issue to to draft the complaint so it it can't be dismissed I think both Twombly and Iqbal make clear that that the this pleading standard at the 12b6 is not a believability standard. It, it, at this stage of the matter, the, the do, do matter you have the, a case? Do you have a case that that addresses the point I'm making? I uh, no, your honor. Um, I, okay. I do. All right. Now, does it have to be true, given the purposes of qualified immunity, including the the the, the need for a prompt resolution? That if if there are documents that are implicitly or explicitly incorporated in the in the complaint by reason of the allegations of the complaint, that they can be considered, and it doesn't, and and they can be considered on the issues of clearly established law, uh, regardless of of whether they are consistent or inconsistent with the way plaintiffs have pled their complaint. Uh, Your Honor, the matters here are plainly not those. Um, that reading the exception as the defendants would hear would essentially uh, allow defendants to attach any evidence that defendants have that in any way relates to the complaint. Uh, the exception in question regards well, generally. Well, the emer take the emergency declaration. I haven't I haven't studied the complaint, but I dare say uh, that the emergency declaration, if it isn't mentioned, is it at least um, within the. Uh, parameters of what's alleged uh yes your honor so in paragraph five of the complaint the uh the plaintiffs alleged specifically that defendants uh engaged in a concerted effort to mischaracterize the events that happened at sandy rock um this this court if it's considering the emergency declaration issued by one of the defendants here for truth of the matters asserted therein um would plainly conflict with that now this this court can can consider the fact that there is an emergency declaration, but, but that, is, that isn't the way. That isn't the way I'd consider it in the qualified immunity analysis for the truth and so forth. I, I'm not sure I understand, Your Honor. Well, it, it, the qualified. I mean, qualified clearly established has to be done. Has to be examined with particularity. The Supreme Court has preached that countless times in the last decade. So that means that that means that the fact that that a public road is a, is a is a is a, a a limited public forum doesn't answer the question, even though well, that's where where your brief leads. Uh, 
In this case, in fact, concluding that it is clearly established that this public road is a traditional public forum would fully answer the question because defendants haven't raised in any manner the argument that their regulation on speech in this public road can survive under a time, place, or manner restriction. So if this court concludes, as it should, that it's clearly established that Highway 1806 is a public road... Counsel, that argument just tells me you don't understand the qualifying immunity issues. The clearly established law has to do with damage liability of individual dependents for a... No question there's a dispute and no question there are First Amendment interests at issue in the dispute. But that's not the clearly established analysis that the Supreme Court has directed us to conduct and directed the district court to conduct. What the Supreme Court has directed this court to examine is how the facts, as alleged at this stage in the litigation, because we're at the motion to dismiss stage. The question is whether or not qualified immunity is present on the face of the amended complaint. So whether those facts, as alleged, accepted as true, viewed in the light most favorable to the plaintiffs, plausibly state a claim to relief. And plausibly here means legally plausibly. In this case, plaintiffs have alleged that there is a closure of a road. It's clearly established that roads are public forums. And even if this court wants to engage in a particularized inquiry, a forum analysis here, plaintiffs have alleged numerous facts. This is paragraph 44 and 46 of the amended complaint, paragraph 45 of the amended complaint, that show that this particular space has a longstanding history of expressive use, is conducive and safe to be used for expressive conduct, and has been historically. In other words, that this particular space should be adjudged a traditional public forum. And so that's the first step of qualified immunity, is determining whether or not that's clearly established. The second step of a forum analysis would be to turn to whether or not this regulation is appropriate as a time, place, or manner restriction on a traditional public forum. And defendants haven't argued that. Defendants have forfeited that argument in front of this court. So if this court concludes that either categorically this public road is a traditional public forum because the Supreme Court Frisbee v. Schultz has held that all streets are public forums, that no particularized inquiry is necessary, or if this court holds that a particularized inquiry here, based on the facts that are alleged in the complaint, show that this is a public forum, there's no need to turn to the extrinsic evidence because defendants haven't made an argument that even if this court considers the extrinsic evidence, their closure can survive as a time, place, or manner restriction. And that is the appropriate qualified immunity inquiry at this stage. In other words, this court can hold that it's clearly established that the forum at issue is a public forum, and that defendants have forfeited the rest of a First Amendment inquiry. Let me ask you this, Mr. Smith-Grelick. Do you think the judge ruled on the qualified immunity issue or not? So I think that the judge fully reasoned the qualified immunity issue. So the judge here devoted... Let's just try for a straight answer, though, on whether we have a ruling or not, because we have a lot of cases that say if the judge doesn't rule, then that's error, and the case should be remanded for a ruling. If there is a ruling, then we can review it. So this is a tricky... I don't know what you mean when you say there's reasoning. I understand there's a lot of... It's a 100-page order, but is there a ruling, do you think, on the qualified immunity motion? 
I think effectively, yes, although the judge does explicitly defer this issue to a later stage. That's part of what's somewhat confusing about this and what makes it a poor fit for some of the other cases that the Eighth Circuit has decided on this. The judge here correctly identifies that the standard in this case is whether or not qualified immunity can be found on the face of the amended complaint. The court correctly identifies that the defendants bear the burden here of meeting that standard. And the court concludes that defendants haven't met their burden. And that is the full reasoning of qualified immunity. And under this circumstances, under such circumstances, this court shouldn't remand to the district court to re-decide this issue that it's already decided, especially if the effect of such a remand would be to give the defendants a second opportunity to meet a burden. Do you think the order could be read to say that on the face of the complaint, defendants are not entitled to qualified immunity? Yes, Your Honor. And that most of their argument is about extrinsic evidence and that should be deferred to a later stage because the judge thought he shouldn't consider it or wouldn't consider it now? Yes, Your Honor. And this question about extrinsic evidence is an abuse of discretion standard. That's an important thing to recognize here. And this is a case, I believe you asked, why not resolve this at summary judgment? I think the answer here is fairly clear, is that defendants want the benefit of a ruling based on their evidence where a judge considers their evidence, doesn't consider plaintiff's evidence, doesn't allow plaintiffs to test that evidence in any way. And that is clearly inappropriate at this stage. The Eighth Circuit has recognized that because the effect of judicial notice is to deprive a party of the opportunity to use rebuttal evidence, cross-examination, or argument to attack contrary evidence, it should be very, very hesitant to take judicial notice here. In this circumstance, a number of the facts that defendants represent as being indisputable are in fact clearly incorrect. So, for example, the state defendants in their reply brief described this bridge as being a bridge over the road. That's simply not true. That would be very easy for plaintiffs to rebut. And there's a number of such facts that would be. But at this stage in the litigation, that plaintiffs don't have an opportunity to do such things, at least if this court credits the defendant's evidence. And that points to why admitting extrinsic evidence, especially for the purposes that defendants seek here, is so dangerous. But that has nothing to do with qualified immunity. These issues aren't going to go away. I assume you're seeking equitable relief. No, Your Honor, we are not seeking equitable relief. You're only seeking damages against individual defendants? No. How about all those claims that were dismissed in the 100-page order? No, plaintiffs are not seeking equitable relief in this matter. How about official capacity damages? Plaintiffs are seeking damages against the municipality. The municipality is not here on appeal. All of the claims here are... If the individual defendants get qualified immunity, does that effectively dismiss count one of the complaint? It does against the defendants who are here on appeal. It does not for the... There are two defendants who are not appealing because they do not have qualified immunity available. All right. So all of these merits issues you want to talk about don't go away. 
No, Your Honor, but but if if the fact, the fact that you the fact that you chose to to if if this is a fair characterization to put these individual defendants in the in as as the sole target uh, that that doesn't so what so that was that was a strategically bad choice if they get qualified immunity it doesn't it doesn't mean your First Amendment claims were without merit or wouldn't have or wouldn't have um, acquired maybe even a trial if there were legitimate equitable claims. Your, your Honor, the point that you're gesturing to is is defendants' point that qualified immunity should apply whenever there's disputes of fact. Um, that's not the standard of qualified immunity. Qualified immunity uh, in establishes an issue of law. Yes, Your Honor. And, and here, looking at the facts as alleged in the complaint, um, it is clearly established that, that discriminatorily closing nine miles of a public forum uh, is, is, a, is a violation of, of, of law. That, that is clearly established. Um, I want to note, even if this court concludes that the, public, that the forum at issue is a non-public forum, uh, plaintiffs alleged and the district court agreed uh, that disclosure was viewpoint discriminatory and a prior restraint on other forums. Um, those are alternative bases for relief. District that court didn't agree. It agreed it was alleged. Yeah, yes, Your Honor. And, and the question of the merits of these is one that, that is left to a later stage of litigation. Qualified immunity doesn't change the relevant burdens of, of a case. Uh, in other words, if we in a case like this where it appears likely that there will be a factual dispute necessary to resolve to resolve the matter, uh, what qualified immunity says isn't that the case should be determined on the motion to dismiss standard. Very much not so. Uh, qualified immunity says that a case should be determined at the, the soonest possible opportunity. That is not here. Uh, uh, to the extent it is here, that it, it should be based on the, the facts as alleged in the in the amended complaint, not be the alternative extrinsic evidence that requires this court not just to uh, consider, but to, to consider closely, to draw inferences from, to weigh those inferences against well-pled factual allegations in the amended complaint. Um, and, and that is properly not what a court should do as part of a qualified immunity analysis. Uh, I, I see that I'm out of time. Um, if, if this court has further Counsel, questions. Uh, with Judge Loken's permission, your time is, is out, but I do have one yes. one question I think you could answer pretty briefly. Um, the attorney for the ship for the uh, sheriff has preferred us to several pages of a reply brief that have many paragraphs of the complaint uh, cited as what I would interpret as the contention is that it that it can basically concedes away these particular excerpts concede away. Uh, the clearly established prong of the qualified immunity analysis by making concessions about, for example, uh, by conceding that there was some violence and some non-peaceful protest and some need to restore law and order during this time period. What's your response to that? Uh, my response to that is that these allegations say nothing of the sort, is that uh, defendants have, have added details to the allegations that are not contained in the allegations that plaintiffs do not accept. Um, defendants routinely label things as undisputed that are in fact 
very disputed, um, at, at least for, for this stage of the litigation, they label things that are undisputed that are in fact undisputed in the other direction. Um, so, so these allegations, none of these say what the defendants claim they say. Um, uh, I'm happy to go through allegation by allegation and explain why plaintiffs in fact don't allege what defendants claim they do. But even if this court uh, considers that there, there could be some existence of, of, of violence or disorder at, at Standing Rock, um, there still remains questions of uh, whether that was sufficient to motivate the response, wh why, whether it did actually motivate the response. As a matter of fact, plaintiffs have pled on both counts that the answer is no, specifically. Um, and the law is clear uh, in the Eighth Circuit and the Supreme Court that First Amendment activity may not be banned simply because prior similar activity has, has it led to or involved instances in violence. In such circumstances... You're not involved. invited to repeat your argument, counsel. You, you right. answered the question. Thank you, Your Honor. Is there time for rebuttal? Uh, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give a minute to either one of you. I think all defendants were incorporated in Appelli's argument, so uh, either one of you can have a minute to respond. Thank you, Your Honor. I'd like to address two points. First, the notion that we've forfeited something on appeal. The plaintiff's different theories of liability, including viewpoint-based discrimination, are all based on the same conduct, the bridge closure and the highway closure. We have never waived the right to have that conduct analyzed for objective reasonableness under the second prong of the qualified immunity analysis. In fact, we've insisted on it. Secondly, I'd like to address the issue about uh, the difference, I think, between the Dundon appeal that was dismissed and this one. In Dundon, there was a dispute about the defendant's conduct and whether it constituted excessive force. In this case, there's no dispute about the defendant's conduct. We closed the highway and bridge. The fact issues that the district court addressed dealt with fact disputes about the status of the forum. That's not the kind of fact dispute that makes qualified immunity analysis inappropriate. We'd ask either for this court to remand or for this court to address this pure legal issue in the first instance on appeal. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Case has been thoroughly briefed and argued and arguments been helpful and we'll take it under advisement.